it's amazing. We've got these powerful machines in our pockets. Let's use them to the maximum of their abilities. We're able to do all of that with our medium. It can be very visually rich while allowing you to capture things asynchronously and get care in that moment of need. Ellen Da Silva is the founder and CEO of Summer Health, a unique text-based service for parents to get answers to urgent needs from pediatricians. Like most parents, Ellen found herself in need of a quick answer from a trusted medical source after having an accident with her son. With a background in strategic healthcare partnerships from Hims and Hers, Ellen knew she was onto something that would revolutionize parents' access to medical advice. Since their beta launch in 2022, Summer Health has raised over 7.5 million in venture capital, and she recently launched their everyday healthcare service. Get ready to learn from Ellen's journey. Coming up, Ellen shares a very important and never been heard before lesson that she learned from her time at Twitter. You'll hear the story that made Ellen know that this concept could absolutely work. How customer feedback saved Summer Health And finally, the formula to a great pricing strategy that will definitely work. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Ellen, I am so thrilled to be here with you today. I cannot wait to hear all about your entrepreneurista journey and story starting your business. Did you always know growing up that you wanted to have your own business one day? Well, Stephanie, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Did I always know that I wanted to start my own business? I knew that I always wanted to create something out of nothing, that I wanted to build something from scratch. I can't honestly say that when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I announced to my first grade class at Heathcote Elementary School that I wanted to be the CEO of the Coca-Cola company because it was an iconic American Mm. institution. And I knew that I wanted to lead something that felt iconic, world-changing, very defining. And I liked creating things out of nothing. But I did not grow up surrounded by entrepreneurs. My parents have very traditional jobs at large traditional institutions. And it really wasn't until I met my husband that I learned a lot about the world of entrepreneurship and technology that it all clicked for me. But I very much feel like I have found the path that's right for me. What was your career journey like prior to starting your business? It was not a straight line, which I know we. there's a lot of lore in the cultural zeitgeist around how your career is a jungle gym rather than a ladder. Yeah. I've been very fortunate. I've had jobs that have fulfilled me in many ways. I started my career actually in investment banking. Right after the Great Recession, I felt very fortunate to have been offered a job anywhere, quite frankly. And I got a great job at Barclays Capital working on their trading floor. It was a job that I found very stimulating. I I actually really liked stock trading growing up. I was fascinated by the stock market broadly. But I learned pretty quickly that 
It was a big bureaucratic institution and my outside views and my desire to change things were not exactly welcomed in the way and embraced in the way that I wanted to give of myself. So it became very obvious to me that I wanted to pursue working for a smaller enterprise. And at the time, I remember making a list of businesses I was very passionate about, whose products I loved, because I thought, why not work on a product that you absolutely love? And at the very top of that list was Twitter, Mm. which just started to experience the hyper growth. It was 2011 and the airplane had just landed in the Hudson and the the captain of the plane, the the pilot tweeted out a photo and it was this big iconic moment. I thought, this is it. And I was very fortunate to get a role at Twitter. I moved out to the West Coast with my now husband and uprooted my life to start a career in technology. I worked at Twitter for many years and found it to be extremely rewarding and then left business school. When I graduated from business school, I wanted to take as much risk as I possibly Mm. could. And again, work on solving a problem that seemed really meaningful, but at an even smaller institution. And I joined a company called Hims and Hers, which is now a large telemedicine company, but I was the eighth hire at this company. I worked with an extraordinary group of people from the ground up to build this business and to be part of what we now know is this big change in the way individuals can interact with the healthcare system. Um, And that was extremely gratifying. And I did that for many years prior to starting Summer Health, which is what I do now. So exciting and such a journey. And actually, we had one of the co-founders of Hims and Hirsch. We had her on the podcast. So we'll yes. link out to that in the show notes. Everyone can go back and listen to that episode as well. well but big shout out. She's a, yes. she's a close personal friend. And very. I was very fortunate to get to work with her for many years. When you were working at these startups... When you were there, did you have this idea like, okay, I'm here now, but like, I know I'm eventually going to start something of my own? Honestly, yes. The minute I stepped foot at Twitter, I knew that my destiny was to start a business. And I spent time at both of these two major uh, institutions. And then I, I also angel invest, which is how I've, I would say I've supercharged my learning of how small startups work. But I spent my time at each of these institutions learning as much as I possibly could about how to operate a business, Mm -hmm. how to make money, how to develop great products, how to hire talent. All of these were very important. And I was fortunate to be in a functional area, both businesses, first in business operations and later in business development to learn those core skills so that I could then leave and start what is now Summer Health. So before we get into Summer Health, and we're going to, I can't wait to hear how you came up with the idea and all the logistics behind launching what seems on the back end of like a very complicated business, especially in the healthcare space. So we're going to get into all that. But I want to actually hear about some of these learning lessons that you had from working at Twitter, from working at Hims and Hers, when you mentioned hiring NHR and fundraising, like what were some of those learning lessons that you were seeing at these startups that you've now been able to apply to Summer Health? Yeah. I think it's really easy in hindsight to say that it was intentional, but I got very lucky in many respects that I got to be in a lot of rooms where big decisions were made about new business models that we wanted to experiment with or new 
users we wanted to acquire, new countries where we wanted to enter and, and have our products enter. And this goes for both Twitter and my experience at Hims and Hers. But then it wasn't just being in the conversation to make the strategic decision. It was doing the work that underlined it. And so I was very fortunate that I got a chance to manage teams that helped build certain parts of these enterprises. And I got a chance to work closely with functional leaders and other aspects of businesses. And a lot of my learnings came from making relationships with those individuals who owned different functional areas so that I could sit down and get coffee with them and say, hey, how's this piece of the business going? Mm -hmm. What are the big problems that you're facing right now? And how are you thinking about solving it? And that has been extremely beneficial, not only because I learned in the moment how they were trying to solve those problems, but I can now reach back out in hindsight and ask them how they solved it. Or if if I'm facing an issue now, I can lean upon that network. And so that was hugely instrumental. And honestly, I my one of my life mottos is you don't get what you don't ask for. Mm-hmm. And I would just ask to be in a room, you know, hey, you're discussing this really key issue. Can I listen in? Can I learn about how you're how you're thinking about changing the sales pitch for this advertisement or how you're thinking about acquiring customers more profitably? I I tried to soak up as much as I could Mm -hmm. and perhaps sit in on meetings where I wasn't even wanted just so I could learn more. Ellen, what would you say is your biggest learning lesson from your time working at Twitter? My biggest learning lesson from my time working at Twitter is that things that work at a small scale do not necessarily work at a very large scale. And so even though when you build, you may think you're building for one scope and scale of something, that tends to break down when that scope and scale 10Xs and then 100Xs and then 1,000Xs. And there's nothing wrong with building small, but having an eye towards scale, if you're really confident in what you're building, is very important because the pain of having to redo work or reconfigure team structure or redesignate, reallocate resources can be painful if you're growing very quickly. Mm, Such great advice. Glad you shared that. So let's get into summer health. Tell me, was it a day that just this idea came to you? Like, I have to solve this problem. Tell me how summer health came to be. (laughs) Honestly, yes. I mean, I, I had, there is a moment that I can very clearly trace the summer health roots back to. It was the day after Valentine's Day in 2021. I had one child at the time. I was very pregnant with my second. And it was the height of COVID. Mm -hmm. Nobody was vaccinated in February of 2021. or The vaccine was just starting to roll out. We had all been inside basically for a year. And my son was jumping around on my bed, fell off, Mm. and landed right on top of his head. Mm. Of course, that, that feeling of absolute panic as a parent of, oh my God, is your kid, is my kid okay? And with your first kid, I think you're much more, uh, you tend to be much more careful anyway. But I was very panicked. And so I raced to get ice for his head, which I actually now know is not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but my instinct as an adult is, okay, let me go, let me go get him ice. And about five minutes later, he, without getting graphic, threw up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every, I went down an internet rabbit hole very quickly and everything said, if your child falls and then throws up, they may have a concussion, concussion yep. and 
the worst can happen. And so I had sent my brain in this tizzy trying to figure out, well, the internet says this. How credible are these sources? How much are the specifics of my particular scenario? What data and information is missing that might help me make the best conclusion for my child's health? We ended up taking Spencer to the emergency room. My husband ended up going in because I wasn't vaccinated and I was pregnant and I didn't want to get COVID. We really didn't want to expose our young son, our sub two-year-old child to COVID, but we also didn't want him to have a concussion and fall asleep. I couldn't get in touch with my pediatrician, which was my very first line of defense, and I didn't have anywhere to turn. So $2,500 later and five hours and a sleepless night later, my husband and my son come home and everything was totally fine. Could this have been solved if I had a doctor who I could have gotten in touch with very quickly? Absolutely. And it turns out I learned a lot in that moment about how to care for my child, but I fundamentally wasted a lot of time and resources. And it was in that moment I thought there has to be a better solution for parents. There must be something better out there. And as I started talking to more, I actually started on the physician side, and as I started talking to more pediatricians, they said, well, yeah, I mean, it's not ideal when these children get raised into the into urgent care, the emergency room, and then there's no continuity of care. There's mm-hmm. no follow-up. We don't actually know that they're going in. And most emergency rooms treat kids as mini adults, which is not appropriate. And so it was it was really in that moment as I was triangulating what was going on and reconciling what I had learned at Hims and Hers about the beauty of asynchronous care that it clicked. And I realized there has to be a better solution. And I, I know what that solution could look like. When did you start actually formulating the idea and building out a business plan? It took about nine months after that moment. And it it was one of those things where it just started eating at me. I was at my job. I was very happy. But I had this spark of inspiration. And eventually that drumbeat in my brain grew so loud that I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I started telling people about the idea and interviewing friends. I would talk to just about anybody who wanted to listen, who was a willing audience about what I wanted to build. And I couldn't ignore the clamor anymore. So I, I knew I had to do this. I had to build it. And I left Hims at the end of that year and was very fortunate that when we started Summer Health right away, we started seeing great traction and great results. And so I knew that I was onto something. What were some of the first steps that you took when you were ready to go full steam ahead and, and focus on Summer Health? Did you raise capital early on or did you start building the business before you raised I actually love talking about this because I don't think that there's enough in the ether about what are the first few months at your own business like. I decided that I had to start this thing. It was just, it was like oozing out of me. If you met me in that era, it was literally the only thing that could come out of my mouth. Not that things have changed that much, but (laughs) I can explain it a little bit these days. So before I raised capital, I did decide early on that I wanted to build a venture scale business and I wanted to build a business that could really service all 75 million children in the United States and eventually all 330 million Americans broadly and then eventually uh, internationally. And that that scale requires venture capital. So mm-hmm. prior to actually raising any money and taking any money, I wanted to build a proof of concept because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't crazy, that this I wasn't in it 
an N of one human. So I started working with the person who's now my co-founder, who is just a tremendous part of Summer Health and really deserves a lot of credit for where we are today. But I started working with my co-founder and we basically, I bought a phone number and I posted the phone and I got a friend. I actually, I got a friend. I found a family friend who knew a pediatrician who was willing to test this thing out with me. And I posted on Instagram a phone mm. number and I said, if you have any medical questions about your child, no question is too small. Text this phone number and ask it. And a pediatrician will respond. I didn't give any time guarantee. I didn't say anything about who the pediatrician was. <laughs> and we got, I think, like 400 people who responded and friends told friends about it and they thought, oh, this is really interesting. I didn't charge anybody at that moment, but I thought, okay, we're on to something. This is something that the the market wants. And that was when I felt comfortable raising a little bit of capital, bringing on my co-founder full-time, eventually raising an early team to build this out and crystallizing the value proposition in the market because mm-hmm. it, it's morphed a little bit uh, since that moment. But the fundamental, princ- fundamental principle of being able to get medical care on your time, on your terms, but for things that are not only urgent care, it was very radical. And and I'm proud, I'm so proud of what we've built. But those early days were a lot of tweaking, experimenting, and just trying to learn about what the market wants. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. Did you end up surveying those first few hundred people after to be like, and now would you pay for this if this was offered as a service? We did. And actually, if I may be honest, I didn't see a huge conversion because it mm-hmm. turns out that the initially the group of people who who were using it have health insurance and didn't feel like they wanted to pay extra and didn't understand what they could do with it. So with a little bit of market education, we learned that we needed a website with a logged in portal that gives you more than just the text messaging. And we've been in, we've been iterating a lot on those things since. And that's really what clicked for people. But we realized that at the start that what we had built was great and helpful, but didn't necessarily get that f- first cohort of people over the finish line. Sure. Can you share more details of like what Summer Health is now? Like what is the service that is available and offered? Yeah, so the service that's available and offered today is fundamentally medical care via message. We offer medical care in all 50 states within 15 minutes, 24-7. It's a huge part of our value prop because lots of parenting questions come up at hours that are not 9 to 5. When you have your physician visit once a year, there's a lot that goes on in between. But we do a lot more than just that one-to-one physician interaction in a moment of need. We have a logged in portal where you are assigned a a lead physician Mm. who is responsible for your family and your account. And that individual, somebody our patients build a meaningful relationship with. So there's longitudinal care. It's, hey, you know, how's, how's little Timmy doing? I know he took a spill a week ago. How's that cut healing? Or I know that a month ago, your daughter was struggling to sleep through the night. How's that going now? And so there's there's deep longitudinal care because you have an assigned physician. We offer lots of content about what you're experiencing. It's very custom tailored to where you are in your parenting cycle. 
we treat children ages zero to 18 or families with children ages zero to 18, but we have content tailored to about zero to five for every month of your child's life. And that's deeply ingrained. We also offer 100% follow-up on any visit that comes in. So again, that longitudinal care is super important. Finally, if you need, you can get a prescription through our service. Mm. Um, you can, we can send you out for lab testing. We can help you read the lab testing. We write one of our most asked features actually is the ability to for them to upload a form and for us to fill out a form, a, vac- a vaccination record form or a permission slip style form, a doctor's note. We can do all of that if we have a relationship with you and, and really know your family. Okay. So that's so interesting. Cause I know when I was on the site, I was like, oh, it's just the text messaging, but it's so helpful to hear that there's other ways to communicate and, and get help as well. Is there yeah. any intent to like go beyond the text and the portal to eventually do, I'm sure you get this all the time, phone calls or video calls? So right now it's all text-based in yeah. part because it's what our providers love and mm-hmm. it allows us to answer very quickly and efficiently. Never say never. We're very open. We do get inquiries about whether or not we can treat patients via video or um, phone. And it's conceivable that we will move into that at some point. But our text messaging is our secret sauce because Mm -hmm. it allows a much more casual relationship between the caregiver on behalf of the patient and the provider. It allows our our caregivers to not have to spin up an entire visit when they want to know what some ideas are for what they should serve their child for Mm. dinner that week or how to think through getting your kid to stop sucking her thumb. These are all questions that parents have. Parents end up going down a rabbit hole on the internet and self-diagnosing what's going on when we all know that it could be as simple as a a text message and a 15-minute response time to actually get a credible answer and know that you're parenting to the best of your ability and you're powered by pediatricians underlying that. See, now I have questions coming from Stephanie, not as the podcast host, as the mom. I'm like, hmm, wait, so if my daughter is coughing, can I take a video and, and upload the video on text what? message? Okay, there we what? go. Okay. <laughs> the, the fallacy is people say, well, text, what could you do over text? Well, let me tell you, you can send a photo that our providers can zoom in on and actually see what's going on with that rash. You can upload a video. And so our provider can replay that cough over and over again if you're able to catch it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your kids or even yourself, but I've had telemedicine visits where there's an issue going on. And all of a sudden, the minute you get on the phone with the doctor, the minute you get on the video, it stops. You're not able to reproduce (laughs) it. Um, And it's, or even when you have an in-person visit. So it's amazing. We've got these these powerful machines in our pockets. Let's use them to the maximum of, of their abilities. We're able to do all of that with our medium. It can be very visually rich while allowing you to capture things asynchronously and get care in that moment of need. I love it. You're going to have a new customer. I'm signing up, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, when you were telling the story about when your son fell off the bed, it actually brought me back to, because we were living in New York City at the time, like right before the pandemic, we ended up moving down to Florida, but we were in New York and my daughter, she was a few months old at the time, fell she like rolled off the bed. And of course I'm panicked. And I, the first person I went to go text was actually, I'm very lucky. I have a great relationship with the neonatologist from when she was in the NICU. Like that's who I text right away because I had that, I have that connection with her. I'm like, do I need to take her in right now? What do I do? 
And to be able to have that instant answer and support is so helpful. So I'm a believer. (laughs) Oh, great. I'm so glad. I mean, it is, I feel now like I have superpowers by having access to summer health. And it's, it's the rolling off the bed, but it's also the, my son started sharing a room because we had a third kid and Mm. we wanted to double them up. What are the best uh, practices for transitioning my children to be sleeping in the same room after Mm. years of having separate rooms. Summer health has been really helpful at all of these smaller milestone moments. We say no question, no, there's no such thing as a small question Mm. because when you're a parent and these things are plaguing you, they capture all of your mind share and attention. And we are, our patients or rather our caregivers on our platform, our executives of large businesses, our leaders in, in companies, our public sector leaders. I mean, these are people who have serious things to work on. And this should be an easy aspect Mm -hmm. of their life, not a difficult aspect of their life. And so we want to enable all parents to have superpowers. How did you determine your business model and pricing structure? Honestly, a lot of it came from previous experience. So Mm -hmm. I definitely came up at HIMSS and learned a lot about the direct-to-consumer telehealth market and model from that. Uh, my, my background is really consumer internet. So I like to joke that I'm an accidental healthcare founder. The idea of being able to move very quickly in a an industry that does not tend to move quickly meant that we, we wanted to go to market in a certain way so that we didn't have to deal with the, the slower aspects of this industry. Um, but that being said, I think a lot about the business model. My, my background is a, I'm a business person. I think a lot about our business model. I know this is uh, a relatively less told narrative of technology companies, but I think a lot about the path to profitability and what it would look like if I never raised any money again and how that would be possible. Um, I, that's really not our, I've made a very conscious decision that that's not our path based on the scale and the scope of, of our ambitions. But I'm, I try to be very thoughtful about those sorts of things and not do it because we're chasing the herd, but rather because it's a real privilege to get to work with the investors. And, and we we leverage and think of our investors as part of our team. Mm-hmm. And that has become really important to us as well. So tell me, what is the price structure now? So if someone wants to sign up to be a member, how does it work? Yeah, so it's $20 a month for what I term an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's unlimited messages to providers for $20 a month. We also discount that if you buy an annual plan. It's $192 per year. We offer not only access to pediatricians, but we also offer access to specialists. And right Mm -hmm. now, for a short while longer, that will be included in the $20 per month plan. So it is not only pediatricians. You can talk to a sleep consultant. You can talk to a lactation consultant, a nutritionist, a dermatologist. We've got all these specialists and specialty care uh, professionals on the platform who can provide medical care to you. And we actually have just started, we've launched our first few enterprise customers. And so we have some companies now that are Mm -hmm. covering some around for their employee base. And uh, we're very excited and optimistic about that because busy and employers want them, want to make sure that they're able to be present at work and focused. And so um, Summer Health can really give them the superpowers to do that while also being great parents. I feel like that's such a great idea, being able to go direct to 
big employers. So tell me about how you decided what companies you wanted to go to first. And for entrepreneurs that are trying to break into like some of these great B2B partnerships, like what is the key to getting into these companies, being able to pitch them and essentially selling this B2B service to them for their employees? So we were very fortunate. We had some inbound. I think it takes beachhead customer or group of customers who are really passionate about what you're doing and are in a certain group or employed by a, a, a pocket of employers who are vocal and say, hey, I love this product. We had one of our first users was an executive at a very, I, I'm not, it's, for hippo reasons, I can't share any specifics, but an executive at a large but up and coming technology company. And she said, I'm obsessed with this. I really want my employer to cover the cost. And she actually went to her employer and asked a number of times. And then there were a few other people who came out of the woodworks and said, oh, we use this too. We love it. And it caused their head of benefits to take a a deeper look and decide, yeah, you know what? This is something our employees want. We'll cover it. Retention is very important to us. Being able to retain working parents, especially Mm -hmm. working mothers, is super important. And so that was how some of these early ones came about. Up next, hear more about Summer Health's focus in 2024. Is your focus now focusing on these B2B partnerships with employers or are you also, you know, majorly focused on direct-to-consumer too? No, we're still really focused on the direct-to-consumer. I think there's still a lot of of meat there. And I will say that I do think being focused is really important and even remiss to talk about doing too much too much else because we are laser focused right now on providing the best service for our customer base. And where those customers come in from, you know, it it depends, but we're still in the in the phase of building our business where we are customer obsessed mm-hmm. and we are operations obsessed and we are product obsessed. And so the focus still is very much on the direct consumer, but the, the inbound was starting to come in from the B2B side, which is why we started to consider doing it. Tell me about your marketing strategy. What did you do for a launch and what are different tactics and things that are working for you now? So when we launched, I wanted to have a, a defining launch moment for the business. One, because I think it gives the, it gave the team and the morale of the team, not that it was low, but it, you know, it just like really revs up the engine and puts wind in the sails behind what you're doing. I also think it's easier to make asks of people and, and like get the word out if you make a, a launch. So we had this really amazing launch. Emma Hinchliffe of Fortune covered both the launch of the product as well as the announcement of the fundraise. Uh, I had a chance to go on various media outlets like uh, Bloomberg TV to talk about what we were doing. And that really set us off. And so after that, we started to figure out different methods of distribution for the product. It's very much a work in progress, but my advice is test, test, test. Mm -hmm. Give yourself three months. I am the most impatient person. If I don't see results within the first week, I say, let's shut it down. And my team (laughs) says, no, we need to wait three months. So I feel very fortunate that now I have a team of people who slow me down and say, nope, (laughs) let's be deliberate. But one thing I learned at HIMSS is nothing is too wacky to test. Try everything. Mm And something will work. What were some of the things that clicked or worked in the beginning or are working now? 
I mean, definitely incentivizing word of mouth like referrals is big for us. And getting mouthpieces to tell our story for us has Mm -hmm. been super helpful. We've actually not done anything in this ecosystem, but because organically that has worked, we're about to embark on a big influencer style Mm -hmm. campaign and um, do a lot of work with people who are very comfortable sharing to their audiences about what they're doing. But the grassroots worked, uh, penetrating new parent groups, getting mm-hmm. again like that one beachhead who says, hey, I tried this and I want to share this with all of you it has been really helpful. So those are among the things that have worked for us so far. Do you have a formal ambassador program or like affiliate platform that you're working with? We don't actually. There are some rules in healthcare around it. So we try to be buttoned up about that stuff. So it's a little bit hard to incentivize in that way, which is why we don't have a formal formal affiliate program. I actually yeah. have been looking a little bit into the ambassador stuff. So never say never. It's on the horizon. Coming up, you'll hear Ellen's strategic advice on fundraising in the current market. I want to hear more about your fundraise and you have a lot of experience investing as well. And there's lots of members in our Entrepreneurially community and listeners of the podcast that are either considering raising capital or currently in the middle of a fundraise right now. And as we all know, the market right now and the fundraising landscape is not what it was two years ago. And it can definitely be very tricky and challenging, especially right now. What advice do you have for founders that are currently looking to fundraise right now based on your learning lessons and what you've seen over the years? I have not fundraised in this market. When we did the fundraise for Summer Health, it was at the beginning of this wonkiness. But my advice is a fewfold because I I have helped companies. I've invested in probably 25 companies. I've helped companies go through fundraises. My advice is don't give up get honest and direct feedback. So if something is not working, something's not landing, you're getting no's from people and you're trying to understand why, really try to absorb what the feedback is. But be true to yourself because people want to invest in honesty. People want to invest in authenticity. And so if you are obsessed and passionate about what you're doing, it will shine through. Mm -hmm. And if you are just trying to raise money because it's the flavor of the week, it's a sign of the times, that will also be very obvious to check writers. My other piece of advice is spend time with people who write checks, even if you are not fundraising. Because what tends to happen is even if they're not the right fit, they're willing to open up their proverbial Rolodex to you. Mm -hmm. And so spending time with them, getting to know them, getting to understand what could be great is so critical. And and to that same point, giving somebody an equity stake in your business is no small feat. You're the one who is toiling over creating this business, growing this business and making it into a, a going concern. They are getting the privilege of being able to work with you. And so you want to make sure that it's a, a good symbiosis. And I feel really lucky that I found the best investors who get I have the privilege of working with on a frequent basis, but it was, it was very deliberate. And I spent a lot of time getting to know each of those individuals prior to working with them. That's such great advice. And definitely building, not only building your network, but building these 
genuine, meaningful connections and relationships with people. Like that is the key to any business success. It is something I talk about a lot with members in our community. It's you can't just expect you're going to send an email to someone and they're going to write you a check in your business. You need to put in the time and build those relationships. And like you said, if it's not the right fit for them, they'll open their their Rolodex to you. So yes. Ellen, what is the craziest thing that has happened to you since starting your business? Honestly, it's it's getting these extraordinary people to come work with me. I look around the team of people who I work with and I learn so much from them. I can't believe that they have chosen to take their precious time on earth and work on this idea that I wanted to will into existence. So the caliber of talent that we have at Summer Health is extraordinary. It is the best. I I have very close friends and colleagues from previous businesses, and I work with extremely high quality people, previous businesses, but I think what we've built at Summer Health is unparalleled. And honestly, I think it is the craziest thing that's ever happened to me is getting all of these individuals to say yes and to come on this journey with me. So I, I feel so lucky. And in a sense, it's definitely the craziest thing that has happened since I started the company. Well, now I want to know your hiring secrets. How did you find these incredibly talented individuals and how did you convince them to come work for you? So for our entrepreneurs who are who are look seeking talent right now, where did you find them? What did you ask? <laughs> Tell me all the details. <laughs> I feel like it was a stroke of good luck. I mean, it's it's come from years of building up a network in this industry and I am not afraid to ask who's the best operator you've ever worked with? Who is the best product person you've ever worked with? And even if they're not looking, actively seeking them out and trying mm-hmm. to draw them into what we've done and painting a, a picture of what we're working on. And again, I think there's a, a passion and an authenticity that comes through when we talk about the business. But I very much believe in the A players, hire A players methodology. There is a concept of talent density that I think I think was coined it's in the in the um, book about Netflix and the Netflix culture but there is this concept of talent density and I, I think I made you know my co-founders extremely high caliber and so then that that doubled the, the caliber of talent and then we brought on three more individuals who are extremely high quality and they attracted high quality talent and as far as screening is concerned I screen for passion I screen for determination who's going to run through walls in the face of adversity and scrappiness. Who can do a lot with a little? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes. Scrappiness is key. Just figure it out and whatever it takes. Are there specific questions that you ask during every interview to see, like, does someone have that passion or determination? I definitely ask people what their superpower is. I Mm want to know what their superpower is. I ask people when is a time they've heard no and done it anyway Mm. or figured out a way to do it anyway. I love that question. And I think for me, actually, it's what happens outside of the interview that's really telling. Every single person I hired has followed up after the interview about something we talked about. And it's not, yes, send thank you notes. I'm a big believer in sending thank you notes. That's the polite thing to do. But it's much more than that. It's, hey, I thought about this thing that we discussed and here are some more thoughts Mm. or here's a place you can go read more about it or here's how I would solve this problem. And that to me is an immediate, okay, I want that person on my team because they Mm -hmm. will go above and beyond. And every single person I have on my team is an above and beyond. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? 
Mm. Honestly, it means making the world a better place through Mm. what we're building, whether that's through the actual product that we've developed and making the lives of parents around the country better and more restful, more confident, whether that means hiring and training great talent to hopefully go on and start other businesses someday. It means putting good into the world and and good into the ether, and hopefully we'll get some good back in return. I love that. Ellen, where can everyone find you and follow you? And for those that would like to sign up for Summer Health, where should they head to do that? And we will be linking out to everything in the show notes below. Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at Ellen J. DeSilva. Fun fact, I actually own at Ellen, but I don't tweet from it because it was really spammy. And if you want to sign up for Summer Health, I'm doing a special promo for any entrepreneurista listener. So if you sign up, it's www.summerhealth.com and use the code entrepreneurista and you'll get a first month free. Ooh, thank you. We will share that out everywhere. Thank you so much. And Ellen, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurista's. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.